Tiki Hut Media. Pop the top on your favorite beer or whatever you drink from Tiki Hut Media. This is Soul Ramblings with Jerry Wicker. Hey there, talking about faith and life over a cold beer or two or whatever you drink on Soul Ramblings Podcast, coming to you from the Tiki Hut Media Studios in Tennessee. Welcome into Soul Ramblings. Today, we're going to talk about forgiveness, and we're also going to talk about doing what Jesus would do as we talk about faith and life. I'd love for you to head over to our Substack page, the Soul Ramblings Podcast Substack page. Got a link in the show notes. Put your email in the little box thingy there, and most of the time, you'll be glad you did so. Seriously, I, I understand nobody wants to get more email in their inbox. I know I don't. And so that's why I'm extremely grateful if you would sign up and allow me that valuable space in your inbox. As a free subscriber, it is free. You won't have to worry about missing anything because you'll receive updates in your inbox about Soul Ramblings, plus blog posts, Sunday Ramblings devotionals, and you'll get alerts when a new episode of the podcast drops. You can even listen to the new episode in your email. Soul Ramblings Podcast is listener-supported, so if you can afford it, would you please consider a paid subscription to help keep us going? I would really appreciate it. It's only $5 a month or $50 a year. If you can't afford it, no explanation needed, no judgment, no worries. Continue to read, listen, and engage for free. Either way, whether you subscribe for free or you have a paid subscription. You can always see and hear everything. So subscribe on our Substack page. Grab a beer. Come on in. Everybody is welcome. And I want to thank you for being here. Forgiveness. It's an easy enough concept to understand. It involves putting your pride to the side and choosing to move forward from something that hurt you. It's also one of those things that are a lot easier said than done, especially when the person we're forgiving never apologized to us in the first place. Louis B. Smeeds once said, To forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner was you. Living with a grudge that we hold against another person is a lot like being held captive by them. Even though we'd like to remove this person from our life, we often find that they're still tethered to us. We're trapped by this awful thing that happened to us because of the resentment that we still hold toward that person. Forgiveness, don't misunderstand, forgiveness is not a quick fix. It can be messy, and it forces us to be introspective and patient. However, forgiveness can be rewarding when we choose to break the bond that is a byproduct of resenting the person who hurt us. So how do we talk about forgiveness? To even discuss forgiveness, we got to define it. Some say forgiveness is forgetting that the harm was ever done. Forgive and forget, as they say, while others believe that the harm should never be forgotten. For the purpose of our episode today, we're going to be defining forgiveness as willingly letting go of any resentment that we may have toward the person who hurt us. That doesn't mean forgetting. It means moving past it. Those who study forgiveness have found that truly forgiving someone doesn't mean forgetting that they hurt us, condoning what they did, or excusing the harm that they caused us. Instead, 
Forgiveness is something that is done for yourself to let go of negative thoughts associated with the event. In other words, forgiveness is to recognize that the opposite of hate is not love, but apathy. The opposite of being angry about something that happened to us is being able to talk about the event with zero emotion. And yes, that even means without using humor to cover it up. It means giving up the negativity that binds us. And it means getting your power back. It's a fight for your power. And it's not going to be easy. Forgiving someone also does not mean repairing the relationship or making amends. It doesn't even mean you have to say the words, I forgive you. It's a process and it's a very personal one. So how do we start practicing forgiveness? Well, when we want to start forgiving someone or something, it is a process that psychologists and therapists may recommend. It involves more than just silently deciding to let go of the pain. First, we got to identify specifically how we were hurt. Now, this can be difficult to confront, but we have to know what we're forgiving, right? We have to think of the ways in which we were directly and specifically hurt because we can't forgive anyone else's hurt but our own. Here's an example. A survivor of a 2009 home invasion, her name is Sarah Montana, and she gave a speech about how she was impacted by the murder of her mother and brother. When she decided that she wanted to forgive the person who did this horrific crime, she knew that she could only start forgiving for how she was impacted by the loss of her family. She couldn't forgive the killer for taking their lives because her life was not taken, but she could forgive him for how she was affected by losing her family, the memories and time spent together the loss of their presence at important events in her life. Now, it's not fun looking at our wounds. Most of the time, it can make us mad, angry. Anger is an emotion that usually gets a bad reputation, but it can be a very important emotion for motivating us toward an end goal. It can be this anger that motivates us to forgive. After identifying our specific hurt, We have to own the outcome and admit that the hurt is now our responsibility to cope with. We can choose here to reframe how we see the person who hurt us and choose to offer them empathy and compassion. We can humanize them to the best of our ability and choose to see them as more than just a monster. One way to do this is to write a letter that never gets sent. This can be a good way to get out your frustrations and to consciously start the process of forgiving someone without expecting a reply. Real forgiveness means letting go of all expectations, even if we are really owed an apology. Sometimes waiting around for that apology comes at too high of a cost. We can't wait forever, and often choosing yourself and choosing your peace is better than being right. Part of the forgiveness process is also something called post-suffering growth where we consider times where we needed to be forgiven by someone and were not. We develop compassion for others in the forgiveness process and can reflect on the times when we needed compassion to be shown to us. Forgiveness isn't linear, though. It takes time and can be emotionally draining. But sometimes it can be helpful to forgive our villains and put them to rest. The wounds heal, but the scars will always be visible when we choose to look at them. The goal is to come to a place over time where we can look at these scars and think of how we never deserve to be hurt in this way. And yet, 
we chose to grow from the pain. We'll be right back after this short break. Some moms travel miles for a present. But Cash's mom traveled the country for her child's life. To St. Jude. Yep. Cash was diagnosed in California with a rare cancer. St. Jude Children's Research Hospital tailored a special treatment just for him. Our research helps save kids everywhere. Want to do lunch? Well, someone is feeling a lot better. Go to stjude.org or shop wherever you see the St. Jude logo. Baby, you're a perfect 10. I want to get in. Can I get down so I can win? I like the way you work in. That's British group The Cut Capers and their cover of the Blackstreet song from the 90s called No Diggity. You can find that song and other great music on our Spotify playlist, the Soul Ramblings playlist over on Spotify. Got a link in the show notes of this episode. Go over there and check that out. Everybody's heard the saying WWJD, right? I mean, what would Jesus do? You've heard it preached. You've probably had the bracelet at some time. You've retweeted it. You may have even posted it as a caption on your selfie while you're in church. But how many of us really put this saying to good use? I mean, the truth is, everyone who claims Christ as their Savior should be using this phrase daily. I don't mean it ironically while you're in line and you can't decide between the white chocolate mocha and the pumpkin spice latte. I like to think of this saying as a reminder for us to show love when love is hard to show. To be kind when kindness doesn't even cross your mind. To be forgiving, like we talked about earlier, in a situation where forgiveness seems impossible. To remain humble in circumstances where humility doesn't seem like an option either. The Father sent Jesus to earth to die on our behalf, to make eternity with our Creator a reality. He also experienced the pain and hardships of life we face every day. He knows just what we encounter. He provides us with a lot of examples in the Bible as to how to respond to any situation that we face. We are called to be imitators of Jesus in everything we do, in every encounter we face, and to every person we are acquainted with. This what-would-Jesus-do idea is not just for good Instagram captions. It's good for when you're feeling lost and alone. It's usable for situations God has placed in your life, that you're unsure how to approach. For example, it works for people who are trickier to deal with than others. The Apostle Paul says it best in Philippians 2.5, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. He's saying, be like Jesus. Being imitators requires digging into God's word and seeking his ways. Think about the problems you face. I realized that my problems usually weren't actually the problem. Rather, my real problem was the way I was responding to situations apart from engaging what Jesus would do or did in my situation. Jesus' life constantly shows how his followers should act and react. My mind goes immediately to Jesus carrying his cross toward Golgotha. Any insult anyone could think of, any physical pain anyone could experience was thrown upon him all at once. I think about if he would have ended it all right there, how much easier for him it would have been. But he lived out his mission in obedience to God the Father. That's my ideal representation of the way I would strive to be like Jesus. One chapter over in Philippians, in Philippians 3.17, Paul says, 
Brothers, join in imitating me and walk according to the example you have in us. It's impossible, Paul seems to be saying, to be a follower of Christ and not an imitator of Christ. It's almost like he's saying, ask yourself, what would Jesus do during every situation you face? Over in Mark chapter 1, we learn one of the things Jesus did when we ask this question of what would Jesus do. Very early in his ministry, one of the things Jesus did was heal the sick. He came to Simon Peter's house after synagogue on the Sabbath and found Peter's mother-in-law in bed with a high fever. He took her by the hand, lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her and she began to serve them dinner. News of that healing got out the door somehow and all over that small town. So that by sundown, when the Sabbath officially ended, Jesus had plenty of work to do. Mark says that the whole city was gathered around the door. Now, let's be honest. Tell me the truth. If you knew there was someone in your town who could heal the sick, or even if you only thought he might be able to heal the sick, isn't there someone you would want to bring to him? Isn't there some wheelchair somewhere where you would want to roll up to his door? Some hospital bed you would want to push through the streets? Maybe you'd want to bring yourself under your own power for the healing you alone know you need. Can you imagine standing before him as he looks into your eyes and asks, What do you need me to do for you, daughter? What do you need me to do for you, my son? What kind of healing do you want? Whatever their reasons, everybody in that little town of Capernaum found some reason to be outside the door where Jesus was in the hope that he could heal. And he did heal. He worked late into the night, apparently, curing many, Scripture says, who were sick with various diseases and casting out demons. He was a sensation, and the sensation created a crisis in his ministry. Mark tells us that Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, but he doesn't give us many details. You have to look to Matthew or Luke for that. There, we learn that Satan tempted him, first of all, by asking him to turn stone into bread. It would have been a good thing to do. There were so many stones out there in the wilderness that if anyone could turn the stones into bread, that person could feed the nation, could feed the world. And that'd be a good thing, wouldn't it? Behind Satan's suggestion, though, that Jesus turned stones into bread to feed his own hunger was the more subtle temptation to feed the world's hunger. And Jesus responds rightly, Man does not live by bread alone, he said at last, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. It was a recognition of the difference between those things that are temporary and those things that are eternal. Feed someone today and you'll need to feed them again tomorrow, but give them the word of life and they'll live forever. Now, does that mean we have no obligation to feed the hungry? Of course not. We collect food at church every week. We store it on shelves in our food pantries. We put it in bags, give it to those in need. As long as there are hungry people in the world, we as the followers of Jesus have an obligation to feed them, as he did when the multitudes were hungry. But both he and we know that there is a big difference between that which fills the belly and that which feeds the soul. One lasts for a few hours. The other lasts a lifetime, forever. 
But think back, let's go back to that evening in Capernaum when Jesus was touching and healing the sick. Think of the wonder on their faces, the gratitude as crippled limbs were straightened, as atrophied muscles grew strong, as people walked who hadn't walked in years, as they leapt and danced and whirled. Think of those who were doubled over with illness, standing straight and tall, those who were covered with weeping sores, becoming clean and whole, those who were dying of disease, feeling healthy and strong and able again. Could there be anything on earth more satisfying than having that power and using it for that purpose? The gratitude would have been overwhelming. The response, enormous. News would have spread like wildfire across Galilee and every person who could push a wheelchair would be pushing one fast to that place where Jesus was. These are the thoughts that must have been going through his head as he tried to sleep that night. He's exhausted by the day's activities. He would have fallen asleep into bed sometime after midnight probably and dropped off immediately. But after a few hours, after the strength had come back into his body, he would have started to stir, would have seen their faces again. The desperate need that was there, the hands reaching out toward him, trying to touch him, the mothers holding out their babies, the fathers bringing their sons. He would have tossed and turned on his narrow bed, reliving the whole experience until sometime long before daybreak. He got up from his bed, slipped out the door to find a quiet place to pray. He went to the wilderness, Mark says, a word that has only been used once before in this gospel. The wilderness is where the spirit drove him to be tempted by Satan. And on that morning in Capernaum, it seemed to be driving him again to a place where he could wrestle with temptation. The temptation that faced him in that hour was the temptation to make his ministry a ministry of healing alone. It was such an obvious need, and people were obviously grateful for it. He could spend the rest of his days healing and never run out of opportunity, never run out of appreciation. But praying in that deserted place early in the morning, Jesus must have come to the painful realization that all healing is temporary. We get well only to get sick again. We stand up only to fall down. In the end, these mortal bodies of ours must surrender to their mortality. And even if we had been healed by Jesus 50 times in our 100 years, we'd still die. It was that thought that must have come to his clouded mind in the sobering act of prayer. And when the disciples came looking for him, he was ready. Where have you been, they asked. We've been searching for you everywhere. Everybody wants to know where you are. In their minds, they may have already decided that the course of his ministry had been determined. We're going to open a clinic right here in Capernaum. Put up a nice big building with a large, comfortable waiting room. They'd pave a few acres for a parking lot and put up a sign on the door that read, Real Miracles, Sensibly Priced. Let's go, they said. Everybody's looking for you. But Jesus surprised them with this answer. Let's go to the other towns in the area, he said, so that I can preach the good news there too. That's what I came to do. In the discipline of prayer, Jesus had wrestled with temptation and remembered his mission. He hadn't come to heal the sick, but to establish God's kingdom. And the best way to do that, he believed, was not through healing, but through preaching. So, as I do this podcast and I preach on occasion, I believe, along with Jesus, that it does make a difference. 
not that sudden dramatic difference that everybody is talking about the next day, but that almost imperceptible difference that works in a person's life like yeast working in a lump of dough until over time it makes all the difference in the world. Will Williman says about preaching, sometimes a word is heard. Someone is challenged all the way to the tip of their soul. The world is torn apart and reconstructed in such a way that that person can only turn around and be converted or else live embarrassingly out of step with the way he or she clearly sees the world to be. That's what I hope for as a, as a preacher, as, as someone who delivers the word of God. And that's why I keep on preaching, even though I'm not in a pulpit full time anymore, but here on this podcast and we share about faith and life over a cold beer or whatever you drink. I'm hoping that through the foolishness of what I'm doing here, a word might be heard, a life might be changed, and the kingdom of God might come at last on earth as it is in heaven. Glory to God. Amen. So Randall's podcast is a Tiki Hut Media production, and Tiki Hut Media is an emergent podcast and commercial audio production service. The production team believes in freedom of expression and the power of communication. And they make it easy to do great podcasting because it's your voice and their expertise. Focus on the content and leave the production to Tiki Hut Media. Everything they build is your property, so you have 100% command over the content. Launch captivating podcasts effortlessly and efficiently. Build an influential brand presence through consistent and compelling podcasts. Reach your audience consistently, driving dynamic engagement and expansion. And it's very easy. This is how they help you. They take your recorded audio, turn it into a final episode that sounds clean, professional, and broadcast ready. They help you take your podcast from initial idea through its first episodes and even beyond. They will be a collaborative partner with you throughout and make your podcast journey an enjoyable and rewarding one. They offer 100% custom production service, a unique show producer, and solidify your authority and credibility. And your podcast will be syndicated on many, many platforms. Find out more today. Go to tikihutmedia.com. Tikihutmedia.com. They produce this podcast, and they would love to produce your podcast. Hear the difference with Tiki Hut Media Productions. Link is in the show notes of this episode. Tikihutmedia.com. Get social with us over on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, links to those pages are in the show notes of this episode. As always, as we mentioned before, you can go to Substack and subscribe there. All links are in the show notes. Email us at soulramblingspodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your feedback. And wherever you're listening today, be sure to click subscribe so you don't miss a new episode of the pod. I want to thank you for the gift and privilege of your time today. I really, really do appreciate it. I wrap up each episode with my favorite Bible verse. It's Philippians 4.8. Today we're reading out of the New International Version. And that verse reads like this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. We'll see you next week on Soul Ramblings Podcast. 
thank you so much for being here. I'm Jerry Wicker. Grace, peace, cheers. Thanks for listening to Soul Ramblings with Jerry Wicker. Download new episodes every week. And if you haven't already, subscribe and be sure to leave us a rating and review. Soul Ramblings is a Tiki Hut Media production. Oh,